This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing fantastically well. It is Connor here, your podcast and multimedia producer, and I am joined uh, with my colleague at Leeds United Live and your Leeds United reporter, Baron Cross. I've been substituted this week for Joe Donahue, who is uh, taking a holiday, I think, in, in sunny Spain, never to return again. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're all very jealous. Uh, but yeah, Baron, just me and you this week. How are you doing, pal? Yeah, trading you for uh, for JD. I think I'd probably prefer his holiday to yours in Norfolk <laughs> <laughs> without without being too offensive. Um, no, nope, I'll take that on the chin. <laughs> we, we all know where we're coming from. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's good to see you back. And obviously, since you've been back, a bit's changed on the Legion United landscape. Yeah, 100%. Everybody, uh, obviously, if, if you're listening, you're not going to be able to comment, but you can still go on our website and our social medias and let us know your thoughts. But if you are here live in the Facebook comments, please let us know exactly what you think. Um, so, Baron, let's touch on the Watford game again. Um, obviously, you did your post-match with JD. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just really keen to get your extensive thoughts, really, on, uh, I guess, on a reflective period Leeds United picking up the first win of the season. I personally think there were good and bad aspects of the game. How do you feel a couple of days after the event? Yeah, I think relief is still the overriding emotion that they got the win. I think, of course, history will will suggest that it was just a 1-0 win and that it wasn't particularly convincing. And it, and it looks, again, on paper, like they've basically scraped a victory off the back of quite a difficult run of form. But anybody that watched the game will know that wasn't the story. And Again, it was it was a tale of two teams, really. I mean, Watford were utterly dreadful. Got to got to make that clear. I think Leeds were very, very good and deserved to win by more goals. But I think Watford played their part in that. They were insipid. I think that was the word that, that Joe and I used and reflected in our copy, I think, afterwards as well. Um, and I think Zisco Munoz's sacking on Sunday reflected how disappointing Watford were. The Watford sort of beat reporters that we share the press box with, they they didn't think it might have come that soon, but I think they they felt that with Watford's track record, a performance like that was certainly going to ask questions of, of Zisco. So probably a little bit sooner than they expected, but but not hugely surprising based on, on how the Hornets conduct themselves. But Leeds, Leeds certainly played their part in that. And I think a lot of very, very encouraging performances. I think Llorente we can talk about. Um, it's very easy to kind of join the dots on that and, and suggest that he returns and suddenly they win again. And, and he, of course, was in the right place at the right time. Though I, I can't say he planned to score where he scored. It was very much, um, um, fortunately, sort of the way he re- reacted to uh, to the poor Watford clearance in the, off the corner. Um, so relief is the overriding emotion. They got it done, and I think um, I'm quite pleased they got a two week break. To be honest, so I think it gives them now time just to just to relax a little bit, have a few days where they're not just bombarded by the headlines that we write around the fact that they're waiting for a win and that. That pressure that does almost subconsciously come onto them, they would have been well aware. If they hadn't won on Saturday, I think it really would have been quite quite a difficult situation. And clearly there's there's so much credit in the bank with Bielsa and this team across the last three years that there wouldn't have been any any drastic sort of overreactions from people. And nobody would have asked for immediate change or, or anything like that. But I think it, people would have just started to worry a little bit more and... They would the the excuses or reasons for why they hadn't won wouldn't have sort of wouldn't have washed anymore, and I think people would have would have been seriously worried. So I think you have to beat a newly promoted side at home, and if you're not going to beat them at home, who are you going to beat? 
So it is a huge relief that they've got that monkey off the back. And now they can look ahead to what is a pretty attractive run of fixtures and hopefully build on that. Yeah, and I think this was the start of it, wasn't it? It was Watford, and then obviously we've got Southampton, Wolves, and then Norwich. It's a, it's a real four-game period where Leeds can pick up some some decent points and, and really shoot ourselves up the table. And I think if if we'd have gone into this international break, Baron, where there was already tension, really, mm. I mean, it, I think we'd have broken a record as well, wouldn't we? Seven games yeah. without a win. I don't uh, think that that's me, yeah. ever been done at the start of the season. So I think that would have been something on, on, on people's minds as well. And yeah, it was... You can't really dampen how how important that win really was. Yeah, I mean, it would have been an absolute travesty, wouldn't it, for Bielsa to have the club's worst ever start on his record, given given how amazing he has been. I mean, it would have just been awful to, to have in history. Leeds United's worst ever start was under Marcelo mm. Bielsa. But yeah, I mean, that does kind of sum up just how unusual this is for Leeds. Through all of those dark and barren years in EFL, they never started as badly as this. And we're going back yeah. to 1935, uh, since Leeds went six matches without a win. Um, and of course, there are, there are various quirks in that run and um, little things that you can hang on to and kind of explain it away. And I you know, wrote, wrote a few pieces this morning. And I think when you look at it and, and the numbers, you, you can sort of start to join the dots on a bit of positivity. You know, there was three of the current top five, Everton, Man United and Liverpool. Um Drew with Everton, of course, which is looking more and more like a pretty impressive result based on mm. the way they've started under Benitez. Man United and Liverpool are, you know, don't need talking about. I think we all understand those results and where they came from. I think you do look at Newcastle and Burnley. Disappointing not to beat those teams. But again, if you were looking on the, on the for the silver lines, they were away from home. You, know, you take a point away from home and it, it doesn't feel too bad if you, if you draw your away games. And then, of course, West Ham was, was the other match. And you know, that, again, was a narrow defeat. But again, against a side that, whilst they looked a bit, a bit more challenged at the weekend against Brentford, again, they're, they're a pretty solid side that have done very well across the past sort of year to 18 months under David Moyes. So I think if you wanted to, you can find the positive silver linings in this run and, and feel as though Leeds can now push on. And there's been enough in their performances to believe that they can build something now. And as you say, they're kind of, you know, Pretty important run. This next two months is going to be quite important. I wouldn't go as far as saying season-defining because it's a 38-game season, but you know, one one reminder of the December fixtures reminds you that you know they need to pick up some serious points here because on paper, at least, December looks pretty cruel and it doesn't look like they'll pick up too many points on paper uh, going into the end of the year. Yeah, fully agreed. Uh, I, I just want to touch on some of the good points as well. Baron, I know I illustrated at the start there were good and bad aspects of the game. And I just want to delve into that a little bit more. First of all, I think you've touched on it in Diego Llorente. And there was a crazy stat, I think, online the, the, the other day about is with the win percentage when Llorente has been in the side to, uh, as opposed to when he's not in the side. And there was a significant gulf in that percentage. And I just thought he's... I think it's his, it's the fizz in his passes, the fact that he always looks forward, he always looks so assured as well. He makes that transitional sort of movement from defence to midfield to attack look look really quick and, and pretty seamless, to be honest. Were you really sort of happy with his performance at the week? And obviously he topped it off with a fantastic finish as well. Yeah, um, I wrote this in a post-match talking points that go up the, the morning after a game. And I think you, you take the good with the bad with Llorente because I think if you don't get that risk-taking, you don't get the, the fabulous passes that he uses to launch attacks from deep. Um, there was a few times where my heart was in my mouth. I think, if, do you recall the um, sort of the half-Croy turn, sort of almost in the left-back position on the edge of his box, which released 
a rasping shot from Ozan Tufan, which should have done better than the Melier's bar. Should have done oh, better, yeah, shouldn't they? Great chance. Yeah. And um, and then later into the second half, where the nerves were starting to jangle a little bit, there was that sort of reverse pass into Cooper, sort of on the halfway line when he had two Watford attackers all over him. And I think in the end, Melier had to come out and deal with that. So th- there are a few moments where you think, oh, God, did you really need to take that risk? But I think that's just the way he is, and that's the makeup of him as a player. I think that's why Bielsa likes him so much, and I think that's why he's such an asset to the team. Because, as I say, he's prepared to to try these things from deep and try these passes, which which can be a, a huge advantage for Leeds. And he's combative, he's physical, he's got the technical ability, he's got a bit of pace about him. Um, and yeah, he, he's certainly brought a lot more experience to the back line, and is I think I think he is cementing himself as the, the club's best centre back. Um, and like you say, I think, yeah, a lovely finish from close range for the goal. Um, and you, you'll take the the good luck when you get it as a defender in the, in the penalty box. But, um, yeah, I think if he can just stay fit now, I think we know we've got a good defender on our hands. We saw last season, once he got over his injury issues last year, and he put together 8, 10, 12, 13 starts. He's a really, really quality player. Uh, there was a few moments in Saturday's game where he was sort of limping a little bit and sort of grimacing. But... Thankfully, came through it, and I think we're all pleased that again he's not gone away with Spain and and, and has two weeks now to to regroup and get ready for uh, for Southampton. Yeah, it'd be nice to have him sort of five or six games again instead of him yeah. having his uh, token injury, which which we're, I think we all sort of expect now, don't we? He went down, and I was at the game, and I thought, oh no, here we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But but you know that the left side, obviously, Urente seems to be that. The, the player that Leeds fans and, and, and just in general seems to be our best-sided, uh, best right-sided centre-back. I'm interested to get your thoughts on the best left-sided centre-back or, or who your preference would be, Baron. Obviously, we've got Pascal Strauch, who, is, who was quite incredible last year. But another name is Liam Cooper. And he seems to, any time he fills in, he seems to really do a, a fantastic job. And, and, and once again, at the, the weekend, I thought he was pretty faultless. I mean, who would you... Who would you start if you had the choice of, of Pascal and, and Liam Cooper in general? He's quite a divisive figure, isn't he, Cooper? I think um, when, when we do our we do our lineup pieces, of course, in, in the sort of the day or so before before a Leeds game, and we'll do a predicted lineup for Bielsa, and we'll do our own teams if if we were the manager, you know, say a reporters lineup. And I think that, that one of the changes that always comes across is that we'll sort of take Cooper out of our teams, but but put him in Bielsa's team, and I think that sums up where we're at with him. I think. Bielsa clearly values him. I think the team values him. They they pick their own captain, as Bielsa has told us a few times now. And I, I think the unfortunate thing for Liam is that is that people don't see the impact he has behind the scenes and off the pitch. And I don't think I think we all underestimate that. I think we don't see his role on the training pitch during the week and getting the boys up. We all know how hard Bielsa works for them, and we all know he isn't particularly close to the players. And, and Cooper effectively manages the dressing room. You know there is a. This this sort of so-called leadership committee. Um, this this is just my reading. I'm not saying there is a a formal committee. This is just my reading of the senior players in the squad. And you obviously got Ailing and Dallas and Cooper in there who have been at the club among the longest-serving players and among the elder players in the team with the most appearances for the team. And I think those three do run the dressing room. And I think when Liam or or in this case uh, Luke is missing, I think there there is a little bit of a bit of a void that needs to be filled in the dressing room. So I think for all of the faults that, that some people will pick in Cooper's on-pitch performances, I think we have to appreciate how important he is as a leader in the side and how he organises the team. So I, I think I definitely weigh that up in my in my thinking of the, of the best left-sided centre-back. And I think as I'm a huge fan, I'm a huge fan of Stroik, and I think he's been brilliant. And I think 
a complete shock, to be honest, ever since he did okay in the championship, didn't he? And I think certainly earned his corner at that level, but then to come in last season and uh, of course played at Anfield and, and never really looked back. And I think he, he's certainly up there now in that, in that sort of premier sort of quartet of centre-backs. And I would have no, he's not one you worry about anymore, is there? There's, there's, there's a time in it in a young player's career when they start sort of playing in the side and you do sort of just have a little bit of a few concerns before they prove themselves. And Pascal's not one I worry about anymore. But I just think Cooper brings so much to the side off the field and as the leader, I think he probably is still the first choice left-sided uh, centre-back. Yeah, and it's, it's it's fascinating you bring that up as well, Baron. because obviously Leeds have lost some real senior heads, Berardi, Alioski, Pablo Hernandez, of course, yeah. and... As as we was just saying off air about something separate, you know the grass isn't always greener, is it? And 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 with Liam, he does bring something a different value to this side, which which you would argue we don't maybe have without him. And and I think Ben Tillotson has just said uh, here as well, just in the comment section, at the end of the day, he's the captain, and and there's yeah. merit in that. There's a reason he's captain. There's a reason all the Leeds United squad of 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 you know voted for Liam to be captain. And I think that's that can't be understated, really. Yeah, I completely agree with Ben. I mean, I think Ben has, has made a comment just before that as well, hasn't he? I think he says that he thinks Pascal and Diego are the best partnership, but mm. I think we all appreciate that Liam has his role to play. And I think, yeah, I think I think it's a really really close call. And I wouldn't be too upset if, if either of them played um, on Diego's left hand side. Uh, so I think, in terms of not rocking the boat, I think I think you keep Liam in there because of because of his leadership qualities and his experience. I think. Many footballers and managers in interviews will will say that experience counts for a lot. And whilst Pascal is an up-and-coming player, there will be those split-second moments where Cooper's judgment will be better than Pascal's just based on experience of being a professional footballer mm. at, a, at a high level. I know Cooper's only been, been in the Premier League as long as Pascal has. But just in terms of that muscle memory, that knowing what to do in certain situations, I think I think that counts for quite a lot. Um but you know this debate will go on and on, and, and obviously as as the years go by, and as Pascal approaches his prime and and Cooper moves away from his prime, there will be that that switching over period. Maybe if not next season, and the season after. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, three other players that I want to get your judgment on in terms of good things and and things that I've noted down here. Did you feel that Matthias Click was almost sort of further forward? He seems to be he seems to be in a real attacking midfield role at the weekend. Yeah, I think it plays into Rodrigo's role, doesn't it? And mm. um, and the way he's now playing as, as the striker, as a false line, which I'm sure is, is another person we'll talk about. But I think because he is very adept at dropping deep and wants to mix in with Rafinha and Dallas and Click, Click is the man that has the licence then get beyond the striker and, and attack the box if he can, because Dallas, of course, is going to be a little bit more defensively minded as the box-to-box option. So I think it, yeah, clicks are basically playing as the ten, isn't it? You know, normally Rodrigo is playing as the ten when Bamford's in the side, and, and now with Rodrigo playing as the nine, you've got Click as the man who needs to get forward and to link up with, with what is a front three of Rafinha, Rodrigo, and Dan James in the wide areas. So, yeah, and I think it suits Click. You know, I think mm. I think we all we're all very very aware of how many goals he scored in that first season in the Bielsa when he hasn't quite hit those levels since. But yeah, I'm very very happy with his technical um, ability to play as a as a forward minded player. It's probably the closest thing as well you're going to get to Pablo Hernandez in a creative aspect, isn't it? It's sort of the innovator in the squad from that 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 central space. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Mateus would be absolutely delighted to hear that sort of uh, <laughs> comparison. I, I think we know that Pablo is a very uh, unique player, isn't he? And I think we we probably admit that if clicks as close as you can get, he's still not quite there, is he, in terms of that 
I know speed of thought or the type of pass. I think Click strikes me more of a dynamic player who who relies on his on his running and his his ability to get around the pitch with neat one twos rather than those long raking passes that we would see from from Pablo, for instance. How many times do you see Pablo pick up a pocket space hmm. and before you know it, the ball's been clipped out wide to, to either flank, um, a bit like an advanced Phillips almost. Uh, whereas I think Click is very much more sort of a man. He makes those third man runs. He's a link man. He'll he'll play as a, as a sort of a sort of a joining part in those triangles. You know, he'll be the man to sort of do the one twos, do the layoffs to put other people into space, and then and then carry on his run. Uh, so I think there are some differences there. But um, but I think yeah, he's certainly been good the last couple of games. I think Rodrigo, Dallas, and Click were really good against West Ham in that first half, and maybe because of the opposition, I kind of thought they weren't quite at the same level against Watford, or maybe didn't need to be at the same level. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I, I would completely agree with that. And guys, we'll get into some of your comments just in a little bit. Uh, Clive Lewis says, that's our problem, not enough players attacking the penalty area. And when I say we'll get into that in a little bit, I'm sure some of the bad points of the game will be the yeah, uh, good point to make, yeah. the final third. So we'll get into that definitely, um, Clive. Uh, Derek's talking about Furpo, um, not rushing out to close down Bowen. Where was Furpo? That was all Furpo's fault. And Cooper was left to try sort out, uh, looking like it was all his own fault. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll get, obviously we'll get on to Junior as well. I need It's probably a good way, a good place to uh, move on to really, uh, Baron. Junior Firpo, was it potentially one of his better performances this, mm. this weekend? Uh, sorry, last weekend? Yeah, he was definitely better, wasn't he? I think yeah. he took a step forward, much like Dan James, I think. Uh, that left side did look a little bit uh, more effective, I suppose is the word to use. I don't think it was perfect. But uh, again, it, it's hard to know how much to read into it because I think Ismail Asar was was perceived as the as the prime Watford threat and, and is very much seen as sort of their Rafinha and somebody mm. who will at some point maybe move on from Watford because he looks very much like a, a player who should be playing in the Champions League. Um, at least that's what... I'm, I don't watch Watford for 90 minutes very often, but I think that's that's the general perception of, of how good Saar can be. So, Thurpa was certainly the, the concern based on how he started the season and the way he's defended. But, yeah, I, th- I suppose you have to give him his dues. You know, he was very, very tight to, to Saar. I think I think Joe on, on Saturday made the point in a post-match live that he'd noticed that and that Thurpa didn't give Saar any, any room to breathe. But it's interesting that comment you raised from Derek Charles there. I did notice, especially early on in the game, that the Cooper was very, very, very aware of Furpo and was constantly talking to him in that leadership role and telling him where he needed to be and telling him he needed to be tighter. And Furpo was almost sort of throwing his arms like, you know, you know, what else can I do? Or I'm trying my best here and it's still not good enough. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm 90 to 100 yards away and I can't hear what they're saying. But based on the body language, Cooper was definitely telling Furpo what he needed to be and how he needed to be better in those early exchanges. And I think grew into the game, and yeah, the, the Bowen point was raised there. I think anybody that's watched back that um, that Bowen own goal will, will know that Furpo was was the man who was out of position uh, and gave Furpo all that space, and Cooper was the man that got dragged out. So I think I suppose it's it's both a criticism of Furpo and a um, a compliment to Cooper and the fact that he is there to kind of make those calls and to to guide players through the side. I mean. I certainly wouldn't expect Pascal to give Furpo the same direction that, that, that Cooper does. 
No, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, and that's that's what we're talking about at the start. It's a, it's a captain, isn't it, Baron? Um, and 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 just a, a last comment. I just wanted to touch on Jamie Shackleton as well. I think when he's come into the side, he's been fantastic. To be honest, I think to get up to speed with this Leeds United side, especially when you've not been featuring regularly, is a difficult task in itself. But to be putting in the performances he has been doing when he has been, you know, featuring you know, quite prevalently now has been has been a real testament to him, Baron. Did you? I mean, there's a lot of talk on social media about Luke Ayling having a real job to get back into this starting eleven with with Jamie Shackleton's performance based on merit. I think Shackleton's definitely been one of the more pleasant surprises about this season. Um, he's obviously 21, and, and we're all rooting for him as one of the Leeds boys that come out of the academy. And we we knew that this season was going to be important in his development because I think you're, you're slowly now looking at some of his peers being moved out on loan and permanently from the 23s and they're ready to take the next step in their careers because they, they simply need to be playing football and they can't sort of rely on loan spells or on PL2 football. And I think Shackleton had plateaued. Um, he'd had that very exciting first year under Bielsa. Second year was, I think he I think he made exactly the same number of appearances in the second season. But then last year, certainly plateaued a bit with his injuries and, and of course, stepping up to the Premier League was, was a bit of an ask. But I mean, he's taken the chances that have come his way. You know, injuries and suspensions occur. Players are given opportunities and it's up to them whether they take it or not. And I think we saw Charlie Questwell take his recently. We, of course, saw Pascal take his last season. And Shackleton's done really well. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying that Aylin's going to be kept out of the side. I still think Aylin probably offers a bit more than Shackleton as a as a right-back. But Shackleton's done more than, than I think many of us expected. He's certainly stepped up a level. He's been very, very um, consistent. And, and did very, very well at, at Fulham as the defence midfielder. And then as the right-back against West Ham and against Watford, really, really shone as one of the better players in both of those performances. So I'm just really happy for him. You know, I think anybody that's interviewed him or has listened to his interviews will know he's a, he's a top, top guy. Very, very down-to-earth, very, very modest, an absolute grafter. He's Leeds United through and through. And um, yeah, I think all he can do, as I'm sure he would say in his own cliched way is is play as well as he can when he gets the opportunity and and he's doing that so far and we'll see where the chips fall against Southampton and maybe the week after that I think Ailing um, based on what Bielsa said I mean Southampton might be a bit of an ask for Ailing but I think going into that Wolves game there may well be a debate to be had Ailing will probably need a 23s game or two so we'll see Shackleton might have a little run there for, for a little while yet Baron, where are the byline cutbacks and the overlaps from this Leeds United side? Where where has that gone? Well, there was definitely, we were just talking about Shackleton, but there was definitely a couple of occasions where in my own typical armchair viewer way, sort of you're looking from the stands sort of on your backside watching a game where you're you're breathing quite, quite, quite relaxed and sort of just watching it from afar, you're kind of saying, why is Jamie Shackleton not 40 yards further up the pitch? He should be on the overlap there attacking. And it's very, very easy for us to um, to pass judgment from afar. But there was there was maybe a couple of occasions where I thought, yeah, Shackleton should probably just be a touch higher up the pitch there. And of course, he's he's very um, conscious of, of, on this occasion, it was Emmanuel Dennis playing down the left for Watford. And he's very, very aware that he doesn't want to get exposed. He doesn't want to get caught out. And I think that, that may have been on his mind. But um there was maybe occasions or two where he could have been higher up. I think Furpo lives on the overlap and the underlap. I think he that's probably one of the strengths in his game. I think he is making himself available. Uh, I think he and Daniel James were certainly more involved in, in Leeds attacking patterns down that left flank and, and felt as though they were going to try and affect the game. The quality is not always there from Furpo. And 
we'll all remember the, the chance at Newcastle uh, in the first half where he fluffed it over the bar on the stroke of half time, which could have changed the game completely. So the quality is not always there, but I think Firpo is pretty good on on the attack. And I think he had two key passes on Saturday against Watford. And if anybody doesn't know, a key pass is a pass that leads to a you know a shot at goal or a goal scoring opportunity. So that shows that he's he's being a force in the final third and making himself an option. So I don't know, maybe that's a hypercritical um, stance to take, but I think bodies in the box and the cutbacks is fair enough. Um, Rafinha is is certainly drifting inside at an earlier point, sort of in the attacking phase. He will get the ball now, not far beyond halfway because he's so important and, and the much of the play goes through him. And I know he's left-footed, but it feels like in the past he might have cut in at a later point, but it feels like he's drifting inside immediately and sort of attacking the, the final third from a central position. Um, once he's gone past his marker. Um, and yeah, and then the cutbacks don't seem to sort of develop as much. I need to go back and watch the game, to be honest. Um, yeah, just, it's been, I think, been a few I think, days I think, since. I just think with a lot of it, Baron, when you, even when you looked at Leeds in the Championship, it was cutting to the byline, wasn't it? Sorry, cutting the ball back from the byline. Yeah. And I think I think we've, we've not seen a lot of that this year. And I, and I do wonder if that is... Yeah, that I can't imagine that's been instructed by Bielsa. But it's, it's interesting what you say about Rafinha there, because... There was instances in that half where you know I was I was sort of looking up at where you and JD would be in, in in the stadium, and it was one of those where Rafinha level with you guys seems to be cutting mm. in every single time, doesn't he? Um, and and fight and trying to find that that through ball to Rodrigo and Bamford as well when he's fit, and and maybe that's hindering the overlap there because if you're just going to cut in every single time and and try try and make that Steven Gerrard Frank Lampard pass to Rodrigo, then mm. there's no real need for the overlap, is there? Because we're not going to be able to overload them on the way. Wings. Yeah, I do wonder if, if part of it's got to do with the inexperience as well on, on the wings. I mean, we've already said that James and Firpo are still getting used to the system, aren't they? So that's going to limit um, maybe what we've seen in the past on the left flank because it's, it's simply different personnel. Um, and then going down sort of the right-hand side, Shackleton we've already talked about. You know, he's got a bit of experience down the right flank, but he's, he's hardly a regular, is he? Um but yeah, I mean, maybe it has got something to do with the fact it's Rodrigo playing as the striker because mm. we know, we've already talked about it now a few times, but he's coming very, very deep. He's linking up with midfield and him and Rafinha, the chemistry is very, very pronounced now. They clearly have got a very clear understanding of where each other is going to be. I think that's a strength. But I think, like you say, with Rodrigo coming in centrally to receive it and, and either do a one-two with Rafinha or lay it off to Rafinha and then swivel and run. And Rodrigo is going into that channel quite a bit himself. You know, he, he if Rafinha cuts inside into the space that Rodrigo is vacating. Rodrigo is then going out wide right, where Rafinha or, or a white right winger would be. So maybe that's changed it, the way Rodrigo is playing and the attacking patterns. Um, perhaps it's one to review once Bamford's back in the side. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Clive Lewis uh, says, quality of shooting, poor buyers, but generally other teams as well. Yeah, the, um, the shooting was quite... a a prevalent thing, wasn't it? I feel like Leeds were still getting into decent positions. I don't know if there were all sort of goal scoring opportunities, you know, one, one-on-ones and things like that, but it did seem in the first half and at the start of the second half in particular, Stuart Dallas had about three or four shots on the edge of the box, which were either blazed over the bar or blocked. Yeah, I think um, there's something just a bit missing from Dallas's game. Um, I think we're all aware that there was obviously some personal issues that kept him out of the, the Northern Ireland international break. So, I'm sure there are there are reasons for it, and um, there's not much sense in digging him out too much because I think he's, he's obviously had an amazing 18 months to two years under Bielsa, and I think that's, that's possibly why we're aware of it. And I think Bielsa reflected this recently in his press conference, and that 
he's just set the bar so high for himself. You know, last season was just so, so good. He was rarely less than a 7 out of 10. And, and believe me, to get a 7 out of 10 every single week in, in what are sometimes you know heavy defeats is quite something. And he's become such a reliable player. And it's amazing to think back that in the championship, he was a bit of a player. Even in Bielsa's first year, if you look back, I mean, in that first half of Bielsa's first season, Dallas was was barely featuring. You know, he was on the bench a lot. He was injured quite a bit. But but to become the player he has is is testament to him. And um, and yeah, he's not quite his own sort of high standards. And I think we all, we're all kind of aware of that. He's he's one of a few really that haven't quite been at the level of last season yet. And his shooting, yeah, I mean. They're the ones last year that, that he was caressing, wasn't he, into mm. into the top corner or into the into the side of, of the goal and and away from the goalkeeper. But yeah, he's not even getting close at the moment. I think there was one that, that I think was pretty decent, and, and Foster had to get down quite quickly. I think it was the one yeah. where Daniel James was onto it, wasn't he? And, and Foster mm. did quite well to use his legs to actually get it away from from Daniel James's feet. So there was one decent effort. I suppose the positive is that he's getting in those positions and the ball is coming to him and, and those are the chances. I mean, they're not easy chances. We are talking edge of the box with, with defenders in front of him, but at least the chances are coming and he just needs to sharpen up on that finishing. Um, what has Dan James done wrong to never get a penalty, Baron? Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm really encouraged by him. I always sort of thought that that he'd, he'd maybe hit that hit that not that next level as such but he'd really adapt nicely he's sort of got all the attributes I can't believe how hard he works as well for the side he's excellent he looked excellent in the press as well um he was giving the centre-backs all sorts of problems and once again we were just waxing lyrical about uh, Jamie Shackleton and it being you know one of his top performances I just thought Dan James was was very very good and he's once again another player <clears throat> When you look at this lead side, you know there's a lot of of injuries and stuff. There's been a lot of injuries, and, and there is still a lot of injuries at this moment in time. But when you're looking at it, we're still getting these individual battles across the pitch of competition. And Dan James and, and Jack Harrison is 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 going to be one of those um, competitive elements of this side, isn't it? Because Dan James seems to be improving every single game, as Bielsa was quoted as saying the other day. Slowly for Leeds, um, even at Southampton, I think. When we saw that Harrison didn't come back into the side on Saturday, our, our assumption, of course, was that, wow, you know, Dan James has done really, really well to kind of wrestle this spot from from what we thought was a fully fit Harrison. And quite helpfully, Bielsa did explain after the game that, that Harrison had a problem with his obliques, which for those of you who don't have a, a PhD in in, um, in medicine and anatomy, it's, it's basically a side strain. So um, he was on the bench and I think Bielsa had said that, that he was there to use if he absolutely needed him. But I think, obviously, of course, Leeds looked very, very comfortable with their one goal lead and um, never looked like losing that game. So I think they felt it was it was prudent to, to not risk Harrison. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at Southampton if they're both fit and they both had two weeks. Of course, Daniel James is away with Wales. Um, my assumption would be that Harrison does come back in because he's just got a lot more credit in the bank with Bielsa and, and three years worth of... Mm. being immersed in, in Bielsa's philosophy and understanding how that left one needs to work. But yeah, medium to long term, there is going to be a, a definite debate to be had there. We all we all sort of had that thought. Once Dan, even as soon as Dan James was signed, we were thinking, right, well, you've got two winger slots and three wingers that probably deserve or really need to start. So how are you going to fit them all in? And as Bielsa told us, you know, there's always going to be somebody missing um, or at least some some need for sort of moving people around. And of course, Harrison's, COVID diagnosis and side strain have, have sort of paved the way for Daniel James to, to make an impact and improving game by game. Um, certainly Saturday was his best, especially off the ball. His, his pressing was was phenomenal. I mean, his acceleration is absolutely frightening and 
the Watford centre-backs never seemed to learn. They sort of would receive the ball with their back to Daniel James and before they knew it, he sort of teleported onto them and they had to quickly sort of get rid. And and that will be absolutely, that will be wonderful for Bielsa to see. You know, that's the sort of thing he lives for, that kind of intense pressing and basically keeping the ball as close to the opposition goal as possible and applying pressure in that way. And I think you can, you, we will slowly start to understand why Bielsa is so mad for this guy. What do you think, just with regards to the Harrison-James chat, what do you think happens in the future with regards to them both then? Who do you think has got the, the long-standing <clears throat> position on that side? Well, yeah, I mean, time will tell, won't it? I think, I think mm-hmm. Harrison, certainly towards the back end of last season, was, I think if you recall the Burnley away game, Harrison was, was outstanding in that match. And that was sort of a part of a run that, that Harrison had put together where he did look really, really impressive. And I think we all began to change our opinions a little bit on Harrison. And we've had three years now where he has been a bit inconsistent. Um, when he's good, he's very good. When he's poor, he's very poor. There's not there's not often that he's actually in the middle. It's quite rare for him to just be a, a solid seven. He's, he's normally getting a, a four, five or six out of ten or, or an eight or a nine. Um, so I think, I think time will tell. James's CV would suggest that long-term... He has achieved more in his equally short footballing career in terms of you know pulling up trees at Swansea, you know, ripping the championship up for six months, getting the move to, to Manchester United, playing, of course, for Wales, where I think we'd all probably agree that Wales it's a bit easier to play for Wales than it is for England. So I think it's quite hard to hold that against Harrison. And of course, when you talk about England, you go back against last year's stats and eight goals and eight assists for Harrison. And I think on paper, he he ranked you know as well as the likes of Jack Grealish in terms of actual basic numbers, in terms of output in um, in the attacking third. So yeah, Harrison's got the numbers behind him. It's, re- it's really, really hard for me to call. I think Harrison's technical ability is very, very impressive, but James has got the running and the, and the sprinting. Um, I can't call it. I really can't. I think I think at the moment they're very, very tight. And um, it'll, be, it'll be quite exciting for, for Leeds United as a club to see it play out because if anything, it's going to drive both of them on to be better players. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing for us, 100%. Uh, one man I do want to touch on, Rodrigo. Uh, and I want to ask you a specific question, Baron. Um, and we've spoken about this off air. And everybody get it in the comment section below. Once again, it is about his, his future in terms of his position at Leeds. But when when everybody's fit, where do you think his best role is? And, and what I mean by that is, do you think his best role is is coming off the bench, you know, where he did really well at the back end of last season? And we know in the Premier League, depth is absolutely essential. And there's so many Premier League teams with 20, 30 million pound players on the bench. So that's no discredit to Rodrigo, of course. Is it him starting ahead of Bamford? Or do you think that he is, he is best at that in that central midfield role, that attacking eight? Well, his his best role, you know, ignoring everything else, is as the striker. You know, definitely his best performances in Leeds uh, in Leeds colours have been as the, as the number nine. And I understand that completely. The the immediate caveat is, well, you know, what about Patrick Bamford, England's number nine? So, yeah, this is what Bielsa is paid to solve. Um, it's an interesting debate to be had. You know, I don't think anybody is thinking that, that Bamford's going to get dropped anytime soon because of because of, of how good he's been across the last few years for Bielsa. And of course, last season was very, very special and 17 goals cannot be sniffed at, whether whether they were all sort of bulked up in the first half of last season or not. Um, but, but Rodrigo's been been so good in the last couple of games that the, the debate is is very, very real. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a no-brainer. Oh, maybe it is a no-brainer. 
Would you say? Do you, do you think he's been extremely good then, Baron, against against West Ham and Watford? Do you think he's really staked a claim to be starting potentially for Leeds? Or yeah, I think he's staked a claim. I think he's been a lot better. Maybe it's better to phrase it as he's been a lot better as yeah. the striker and and has, and has had a much bigger impact on the team. But you know, this is why they bought Rigo. You know, they, they bought him to create this this debate, and clearly they had a plan in their hands for how they were going to use him and Bamford. I mean, I think we all assumed that when he first came in, before Bamford had set foot in the Premier League again that ultimately Bamford would become the bench striker. And Rodrigo, mm. because he was Spain's number nine, he was a record signing. He was signed to be a striker. We just assumed that this was this was Leeds levelling up and that Bamford would, after a, a fairly challenging 16-goal season in, in the second division, was going to sort of revert to being an impact sub and somebody that would that would fill in for Rodrigo when he was injured. But the, the, the tables are changing. Bamford's stock has risen. Bamford's an England international now, and that really means something. So I think... Whether we like it or not, when they're both fit, we are going to see Rodrigo reverting to the 10 and, and Bielsa and Rodrigo are going to have to commit to that project and we're going to have to enjoy Rodrigo as a nine whilst we can. Yeah, uh, let's move on. I think we've dissected Watford enough there. Um, some post-weekend stuff. Beren, Joffy called up for England. <laughs> Yeah, that's the headline, isn't it? And then we sort of mention mention a bit further down that it's for the twenty ones, not the, uh, <laughs> not the senior side. I did a Q and A on um, um, Monday yesterday, and uh, somebody did joke that is he going to play for England's first team before he played for Leeds' first team in the league? <laughs> and of course, yeah, very tongue in cheek, of course. And um, it, it doesn't feel like it's too far away. It's getting closer now. Um, of course, Gellhart made uh, made his sort of senior Leeds debut in the the Carabao Cup against Fulham, and you know, didn't do didn't. Didn't have really have time to shine in, in that sort of game as, as the lone striker in open play, but of course took away his penalty, penalty very confidently. And everybody's seen the goals he scored recently for the 23s. He's far too good for that level. Um, I just think with the pecking order, you, you are really going to need to see a, an injury crisis of sorts for him to get anywhere near mm. the, the league 11. As unfortunate as that is, I think Bamford, Rodrigo, Roberts, and even Jack Harrison would would start as the striker ahead of ahead of Gelhart in in Bielsa's brain. Of course, we can disagree with Bielsa, but I'm just trying to convey the way he sees it and the comments that he said in the past. And again, he's reiterated it with some of them with Cresswell in recent weeks. You know, he he doesn't want to play young players when there are when there are more senior options available because the the weight of responsibility on their shoulders is too much, and he doesn't think it's fair for young players to go in there. And risk them having a damaging experience. He doesn't want to damage their trajectory, their development mm. by playing them too too much too soon. I think none of us would have been too upset if Cresswell started against Watford, even if it meant Rorente and, and Stroik on the bench. That's how good he was against West Ham. But I think you can understand in the cold light of day why that why that's happened and why Cresswell hasn't pulled out of the firing line. But yeah, I mean, massive massive shot in the arm for Gelhart, and clearly another sign of how highly the FA think of him. If he if he's the first man out of the under twenties into the twenty ones to cover for their absences, it says a lot about where he is in the um, the national plan. Yeah, there's just something about him, isn't there? I don't know. What, he's just born to play football, isn't he? He's just born yeah. to play football. And, and, the way, and he, the way he moves, and he really does have that. And you know, it's once again, it's the expectation thing when you say this, but when you watch him move, you see his stature, you see his ability on the ball. It is of a young Wayne Rooney, isn't it? And that's a, it's a massive thing to say. Of course it is, but you know, you can see similar traits there, can't you? Yeah. I, I would hope that in the long term, it's not, a, it's not a damaging comparison for him. And I'm sure he's, he's probably used to it by now. And it's been mentioned many times over the last few years, but um, 
yeah, you, you can just see the way how confident he is as well now. I mean, yeah. when you add confidence to that technical ability, it's quite frightening, really. And I think Leeds fans should quite rightly be very, very excited about the player they've got on their hands. And I think Leeds have, have done wonderfully to recruit him. <laughs> it's the one against Liverpool, isn't it? Just that pot shot. Both of them. Up. Both of them are just ridiculous goals. Anybody that's listening that hasn't seen them, go and find on YouTube. Yeah. Just Google Gellhart Liverpool goals. You'll you'll do well to find a better brace from one player in a game. Absolutely outstanding. Yeah, 100%. Um, and as well, uh, I think it's today or it was yesterday. You might have to correct me on this. I'm not sure. But is it? I think it's one year of Rafinha, isn't it? I think today, it might. Yeah. Is it today? I mean... God, I know we do lots of Facebook natives of summing it up in one word. I don't think you can do really, but 18 million quid, Baron. What an absolute bargain. I mean, he's been the, the pick of the bunch, hasn't he? Yeah, frightening player. Really, really impressive player. Just gets better and better. And um, as, as and we've better. mentioned, yeah, and, and as we've mentioned already, you know, uh, mate might have even been off air, but in this, what in what's been a, quite an underwhelming and challenging start to the season, he looks like the man that's going to make things happen. If Leeds are going to score, it looks like he's got to be involved. And of course, mm. we don't want it to be like that. We want we want to have multiple routes to goal. We want to have multiple players causing problems. But right now, he is just head and shoulders above the rest. And it's it's quite amusing now to look back and, and imagine him on the bench at Crystal Palace last season, where sort of we were waiting for him to bed in, and we weren't too sure what we were getting from from Ren and, and Costa was still starting with Harrison on either flank, and it was all a part of. The Bielsa process. It wasn't a wasn't a massive surprise because most new signings have to wait. But um, when you see now what he's become and, and how he is first, if not second, name on the team sheet, incredible player. And the trajectory he's on, there's going to be some serious conversations next summer and the summer after about where he's at. Because if Leeds aren't, I mean, yeah, if. <laughs> I, know where you go. To, I know where you go with this. It's hard to it's hard to know where you sort of draw the line, but I mean, let's yeah. say they finish fifteenth or something, so they stay up, but they're fifteenth. Mm. I'd like to think he'd stick around. I'm sure, and I'm sure he would probably want to, and would would think that another year at Leeds under Bielsa maybe would be good for him. But there will at least be a conversation, and it won't stop other clubs bidding. And I think that's that's probably the the, the unknown factor. And of course, it's the it's, it's the uncontrollable. No, none of us at the club or outside the club can control what other clubs want to do. And if they want to go and offer Leeds 60, 70 million for him, that's a lot of money. And it's very, very hard to say no to that. So if he keeps playing the way he is, I'm sure there'll be offers next year. Whether they're accepted or not, I don't know. But I think unless Leeds are playing Champions League football inside the next two years, three years tops, he's going to have to move on, isn't he? I think we would all agree he's a, he's a Champions League, you know, quarterfinal player isn't he you know he's 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 on the cusp of the top table maybe I don't know how you want to phrase it but he's, he's right up there isn't he I think we had this discussion in the press box at the weekend but you know maybe not a PSG or a Man City but you could you could see him starting Atletico Madrid couldn't you I could, you could, him he, at, I could even see him at a Bayern yeah maybe yeah I mean that that would obviously be a, a sterner challenge for him but I mean in terms mm. of his his makeup as a player, you know, that, that hard-working grafter of a player. You could easily oh, see him on, playing yeah. for Simeone, couldn't you, at Madrid and starting in the Champions League semi-final. I mean, that's the sort of quality Leeds have got on their hands here. Mm, yeah, 100%. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people thinking and talking about the same being said for Calvin Phillips, but I think the link with the club is the big differential there, isn't it, Baron? 
Yeah, Bielsa talked. I'm sure you've read the quotes, which is where your questions come from. I mean, all the chatter about Man United, I don't think that's particularly newsworthy. I think I think any top club that isn't looking at Phillips isn't doing their job properly because you know, it's a bit like with Declan Rice at, at West Ham. You know, if if you are looking at players who are good enough to improve your side, but maybe at a side that aren't in Europe, you know, mm. you look at the England team, you know, Rice and Phillips stand up like sore thumbs, don't they? Because they're players who aren't playing. Well, I know Rice is playing Europa League now, but I think people understand where I'm coming from. You know, they're not playing Champions League football and yeah. they're pretty much there now in terms of the quality. So there will be clubs interested in Phillips and you know, Bielsa, of course, said last week that if if and when Phillips decides to go, he will do it in a way that doesn't burn his bridges with Leeds. And I think that's sort of Bielsa's way of saying that he'd be amazed if it was to go to Old Trafford. Um, but again, you know, if, if Leeds got offered 80, you know, 70, 80 million for, for an England starter, that's really, really hard to say no to. It, when you, you can go out and replace him with three twenty-five million pound players, I mean, that's huge. I still think we'd get three twenty-five million pound wingers, wouldn't we? To <laughs> <laughs> fair point. Yeah, fair point. Um, but, but sticking on the uh, Calvin chat uh, today, he's well, he, he's been sort of left out of the England squad, replaced by James Ward-Prowse. You know, we've we've got to give James Ward-Prowse his, his game, haven't we? He's not going to be playing against Leeds, so he's got to play a bit of football. But Calvin, Calvin has obviously been you know left out due to injury, Baron. Can you develop on that? Yeah, what we're what we're hearing is it's, it's a minor calf strain. So this news broke at about two p.m. on the on Tuesday the fifth, depending on when you're listening. Um, and yeah, it, it just very much sounds like it's just it's just um, a decision that, that suits all parties really. Uh, so he's been withdrawn from the England squad. Um, he played the full ninety on Saturday against Watford, but it transpires mm. that he did pick up a calf strain of some kind, and he was assessed by Leeds' medical team across the weekend and. Of course, we're now into Tuesday afternoon and and the decision's been made and, and made public that he won't be going to St George's Park. I think that the England squad are arriving there today and um, yeah, he'll be sticking around at four parts for treatment. So we've got 11 days until the Southampton game. We're led to believe there's not going to be any... Well, Leeds are very hopeful that there won't be any issues with Calvin. They, they don't believe it's serious enough to keep him out of that game. It's just a case of he probably wouldn't have trained too much this week. And if that's the case, what's really the point in him going to the England squad and depriving somebody else of, of an opportunity to play for their country. So we think he'll be okay this week. And if anything, it probably suits Leeds that it's in the international break because he probably would have been a bit of a doubt for, for a match this weekend if Leeds had one. So as it is, I think that they're pretty hopeful that he'll he'll train next week and then he'll be fine for Southampton. Good news. Uh, right, guys, we've been going for 46 minutes. It never feels that long, does it, Baron? Um, but for, maybe, maybe it does. <laughs> your, your silence there is... Uh, no comment. <laughs> Um, but guys thank you uh, everybody who's tuned in if you are listening make sure you give us a five star rating of course Berent thank you so much for joining me cheers Connor thanks everyone and we will see you in a bit cheers guys cheers